The Falcons got a big boost from the run game and pass rush against the Colts while Taylor Heineke managed the game. We'll talk about the new wrinkles I saw on film on both sides of the ball that led to the Falcons' Week 16 win. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NFL, and you'll get twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. People also call me Serious Black, especially as of late, they call me Mister Drew. Right, my friends call me Negative Nancy, but you can call me Mister Drew. But you can become one of my friends by becoming an everydayer of this podcast by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to the everydayers that have done so. And if you want to become an everydayer, just follow in their footsteps. So today we're going to have a conversation about Taylor Heineke, which means I got to put on my Mr. Drew uh, alias back on, you know, be that negative guy. Right. I got a lot of flack from people, you know, on some previous episode, because I had the audacity to suggest that Taylor Heineke wasn't a major catalyst for the Falcons offensive success against the Colts. After watching the film, I stand by that assessment. We'll talk later about Taylor Heineke doing an effective job managing the game and some of the positives he did to bring to the table, but, you know, some of the things that it was mostly the guys around him. We'll talk later about the defensive success and how they were able to keep a lid on the Colts offense with uh, uh, slightly different wrinkles, but we'll start off our conversation talking about the real reason why the Falcons and the real catalyst behind the Falcons' uh, offensive success against the Colts was their running game, right? And so if you're going to do the box score scouting, as so many people do, uh, without watching the film, you know, the numbers that you should be paying attention from that box score, the 177 yards rushing and the six sacks as the Falcons had in this game. Again, we'll get into the defense later. But, you know, we talked about on a previous episode how the Falcons had a 73% success rate running the football on first downs, right? And that's a very good number. As I said on that previous episode, that's basically as close to perfect as you can realistically get in the NFL in terms of running the football in first downs. And I went back and looked it up. That's the best first down success rate the Falcons have had all season long. Overall, the Falcons success rate in this game was 57%, which was tied for the second best mark of the season, only behind that Saints game where the Falcons ran for 228 yards. And if you go back and you listen to that Thursday crossover we did with Jake Arthur of Locked on Colts, you heard me mention my skepticism on whether or not the Falcons could run the ball in order to offset some of Taylor Heineke's limitations as a passer. And I basically said, I think, you know, I don't expect them to get the sort of 200 yards rushing that they need to get in order to do that, but they got pretty close at 177, right? And I think the big catalyst was getting two of those starters back on the offensive line led to the Falcons' success more than anything else, right? More so than the quarterback. Relatively speaking, we talked about how the injuries up front on the offensive line have significantly had a negative impact on how their game plans, their play calling and their offense's ability to execute, especially on the ground, has been the last two weeks. Right. And this wasn't even a dominant game for the offensive line from a blocking standpoint like the Saints game was. Right. It's not to sit here and say that the offensive line didn't make some great blocks. You had, you know, some great blocks on several plays. Like, you know, Norton, Dolman, Tucker Fist, Mac Hollins made excellent blocks on Tyler Algiers' touchdown run. But watching the film, 
I saw more runs where it was, you know, especially guys like Bijan and Cordero Patterson just kind of being dudes. Like when the Falcons would block it for one or two, those guys would out get there more. Like there was a run where uh, CP was able to bounce a run for like 11 yards when it should have only gotten like one or two. Right. And, and Bijan, there were several plays where he was able to avoid penetration in the backfield and, and sort of turning a negative two yard gain into a, like a four or five yard gain. And you look at both of Bijan's 20 plus yard runs. Both of those instances, those runs were really broken because he was able to outrun the angles of some Colts pursuing linebackers. And another observation I had in this game was it did seem like the Falcons mixed in a little bit more inside runs, some inside zone duo type of things, right? I noticed even an off-tackle run where they had Matthew Bergeron pulling in the hole. It didn't really work, but, you know, they they were trying some interesting things. And, you know, I couldn't confirm via the PFF data, but it did feel like there was a couple of new wrinkles in their run game and being more of a sort of downhill straight ahead run game. I've talked before about how that is more suited to Storm Norton's skill set than the outside zone that the Falcons have had with Caleb McGarry at that right tackle position. I've broken it down on extended all 22s as well. Um, that, you know, there was a couple of good runs in this game where Norton and Lindstrom were able to sort of combo block um, and, and move, you know, the, the line of scrimmage. Uh, to create some space for the runners underneath. It's, again, it's not to say that Caleb McGarry can't do those. Caleb McGarry's going to do this. But Caleb McGarry also is very capable on some of those outside uh, zone runs, right? Now, the other thing about the blocking, I got to point out, you know, because the agenda is strong, right? Tucker Fist had some good blocks. He had some bad blocks, right? I, I feel like Parker Hesse would have done a better job serving as Keith Smith's replacement in this game, and the Falcons would have gotten even a bigger boost to the blocking, right? So the the Parker Hesse agenda is still going strong after this game, but you know, I'll give Tucker Fist some credit where he did have some positive impact on this on this game. It just wasn't as consistent as Parker Hesse has been playing that fullback role, as we saw in that Jets game. You know, broke this down on the extended all 22 review in the second half. A big part of why the Falcons were able to run the ball in the second half against the Jets was, you know, owed to I think Parker Hesse doing a good job as a lead blocker in that second half. But um, you know, we'll we'll give more credit to the run game than the quarterback for the Falcons offensive output. Right. But you know, that gets to a, an overall overall criticism of this offense, right? That's been one of the more fair criticisms of Arthur Smith's offense. And it's something you've heard me say a, a, a dozens of times on this pod over the last two years, that this offense kind of goes how their offensive line goes, that when this offensive line can control the line of scrimmage, either via the run, via the run or, or the pass, like this offense tends to click. And when they don't do that, you know, this offense becomes exceedingly ordinary. And thus, it's true regardless of kind of who the quarterback is, whether we're talking about Ritter, Ryan, Mariota, or Heineke, that has been the case over these last couple of years. And it's part of the reason why I talk about these things, because, again, we all understand that, hey, the quarter, the quarterback and the coach are some major glaring concerns about this Falcons team that they're going to have to figure out this offseason. But another thing that they're going to have to figure out is the offensive line, right? And, you know, I don't necessarily know the solution to that problem in terms of you know, the offensive line has been problem more problematic this year than it has been. And again, it's not because the offensive line is terrible or anything like that, but sort of going from a unit that was on the verge of being like a legit top five unit, one of the best offensive lines in the league to something that is closer to league average has really hurt this offense this year. Right. And being a big reason why this team has not lived up to expectations, I think as big a reason, if not arguably a bigger reason than, you know, Desmond Ritter being trash. Right. As so many people would lead you to believe so 
we'll see what the Falcons do on the offensive line, right? My expectation, my best guess is they'll run it back with the same starting five, hoping that the continuity that they got this year of those guys mostly playing together will lead to improved play from that unit in 2024. You also hopefully get more consistency out of a young player like Matthew Bergeron in year two versus year one, right? And, you know, my expectation is you'll see the team invest resources into bolstering that depth so that if we get to a point next year where there are injuries, multiple injuries that, you know, it's not going to break their offense in the ways that it has done at various points this season over the last month, right, up until this past Sunday. So that is what I wanted to emphasize. Sort of my biggest takeaway from the film is, hey, you know, Bijan and and CP and to a lesser extent Algier, right, Algier played well. It's just, you know, a lot of it, a lot of his better runs were well-blocked plays. Uh, But, you know, that that three-headed monster in the backfield, was was cooking in this game. They were cooking, you know, after the catch as well in this game. And that gets us to a conversation about Taylor Heineke uh, and why he, you know, was an effective game manager. But part of the reason why I'm not going to give him as much credit as maybe other people will uh, for the Falcons offensive output. And we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. Guys, I want to tell you about Game Time, the fast and easy way to buy all the tickets to the sports, comedy, music, theater near you with Killer last-minute deals, right? which means you can buy tickets in seconds right up to the start of your event. They have all-in prices, means you're not going to get hit with hidden fees. Views from your seat so that you see the view before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And their best price guarantee means that if you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, they'll credit you 110% the difference. Game Time is taking the guesswork out of buying tickets. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On NFL, and you'll get twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So. Continuing today's episode, want to plug the Locked On Sports Today 24-7 streaming channel, the first of its kind. Check it out if you want to get all the national stories across all the leagues, as well as that local expertise that only Locked On can give you. And of course, we have the same thing for those of you that are a little bit more local with Locked On Sports Atlanta, their 24-7 streaming channel, so you can get that local uh, flavor as well. So check those out on YouTube, the first of their kinds, right? So let's talk about Taylor Heineke. Now, let me say up front, Taylor Heineke was fine in this game, right? I don't think he did anything especially great, right, outside of a few plays. I don't think he did anything especially terrible outside of a few plays, right? And again, I know it's going to come off as super negative to a lot of you, right, Mr. Drew, you know. And I know some of you guys accuse me of being a Heineke hater, which is no different than a lot of people that accuse me of being a Matt Ryan hater two years ago, uh, Marcus Mariota hater, right? I remember a couple months ago, people were saying you're a Desmond Ritter hater because you weren't sitting here talking about how incredible that one series he had against the Bengals was in the preseason, right? You know, and it's 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 so clear that I just hate all Falcons quarterbacks. So, I, so at least I'm consistent, right? You can give me that, right? Um, you know, I have the audacity to be more critical than praising of the various Falcons quarterbacks, especially in recent years, because how, how dare you? How dare you not heap tons of praise on the Falcons passing attack that has consistently been below average for three consecutive years, you know, whether that's the 19th, 17th or 21st most efficient passing attack these last three years. Right. You know, which, you know, I know is a contributing factor to why some people want Arthur Smith out. It's like, why isn't it working? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's fair. But, you know, one of the things I talked about on Monday's episode, Monday night's episode, Tuesday's episode, depending on when you listen to it, um, you know, we got a lot of gap, yak in this game. And, you know, that was basically guys being dudes, right? Similar to the run game, right? 
Um, and I, I noticed some comments on that video where people were like, oh, that's due to Heineke getting the ball out quicker. And like, it makes sense if you haven't watched the film that that's probably true, that those two things are related, but it doesn't, it's not true when you watch the film, right? You know, because a lot of that yak came on screen passes. And this is why we've been talking about since like what week three or four about quote unquote level one play calling being screen plays or basically taking the quarterback out of the situation. And the Falcons run screens, you know, based off of the PFF data about twice the rate, uh, almost twice the rate under Heineke than they did under Desmond Ritter, right? It's about 15% of Heineke's dropbacks or screens versus 9% on Ritter. So that's like 67% increase, right? And it's not to say that, oh, if you run screens, that means you have a bad quarterback because, you know, there are plenty of elite quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady that have been in offenses that ran screens at a comparable rate as what the Falcons are doing with Heineke. But it is notable to me that basically the play calling, there's a lot more level one play calling with Taylor Heineke, right, where you're simply trying to theoretically disguise uh, or lessen the impact of the quarterback than there were with Desmond Ritter. Now, when you watch the film, you're not going to sit there and marvel at the timing and rhythm of this offense with Taylor Heineke, right? Like the ball was consistently coming out late. And like, that's understandable because Taylor Heineke is a backup that has had minimal work with the starters. And so the offense being this sort of crisp timing and rhythm based offense, when Taylor Heineke's Tate had three weeks of practice with the starters, uh, you know, basically ever shouldn't be expected. And it wasn't the case, right? Like, but Again, people keep insisting that the, the rhythm and timing of this offense is better with Taylor Heineke, right? And then when you look at who was actually getting the yak, it was the usual suspects, right? Bijan Robinson, John o. Smith, and Tyler Algier. It wasn't Drake London and Kyle Pitts that were getting the yak. Those three guys, Bijan, John o., and Tyler Algier, have been consistently getting yak all season long. And Drake and Pitts have not. That didn't change against Carolina uh, against Indianapolis. So the idea that, like, oh, Heineke's doing this stuff, right? You know, it, it doesn't isn't backed up by facts or, or evidence. It's just a thing that people say in order to justify whatever opinion they have. Right now, I'm saying all this not to be negative. Right, I think Heineke did a good job managing the game. Right, that's all he was really asked to do: screens, a lot of checkdowns. You know, with the run game rolling like it was, that was a very effective game plan against this Colts team and with the defense playing as well as it was as well. Like the Falcons checked all the boxes. We talk about a complete game. This is exactly how the Falcons want to play. Is that due to Taylor Heineke? Not really. Is the point I'm trying to make? It was all the other things around Taylor Heineke, but Taylor Heineke did his job. And I'm not sitting here trying to sit here and be like that's a bad thing with Taylor Heineke, right? The question is going to be, can you do that against the Bears, right? Because the Bears have one of the top run defenses in the NFL. You know, if you look at EPA, expect the points added. They're fourth in run defense. DVOA, they're third. You know, yards per game, they're first. Yards per attempt, they're third. So, like, they're a top five run defense pretty much any way you you, you measure it. So, you know, I'm not as confident, right? I wasn't confident going into the Colts game the Falcons could run the football. So, hopefully, we'll get Kayla McGarry back, and that will be the catalyst, and we'll get a performance where this offensive line is out there punking the Bears front line because if they aren't doing that and the Bears do sort of stall the Falcons run game you're going to need Taylor Heineke to do a lot more heavy lifting and that's going to be a legit question and I promise you guys if you watch the film in the Colts game there's nothing on that film that's going to make you feel good about that you're just sitting here I hope he does it right you know and so you know when we talk about Taylor Heineke like you know talking about some of the other negatives he did put the ball in harm's way a couple of times but for, fortunately for the Falcons they got a lucky bounce of the ball. Now, I think some of him kind of forcing some late throws over the middle that were jumped and broken up that could have been picked, I think 
some of the Colts defenders were able to jump those throws a little bit quicker because Heineke was already a beat late throwing it. And he has a tendency to kind of pat the ball before he releases. And then that's kind of a tell that I think even gives the defender another beat uh, to, to make that jump on that play. So that's something that we'll have to pay attention to uh, moving forward. But, you know, another wrinkle that the Falcons utilize was we saw more usage of no huddle, right? According to the official play-by-play, the Falcons were in no huddle 14 times in this game, and I feel like that's double any other game that the Falcons have had, right? You know, since the bye week, Ritter had 13 plays of no huddle over the previous four games, and their no huddle was effective in this game. And if you want to sit there and, and talk about one thing that is we can attribute to Taylor Heineke, you know, maybe Arthur Smith feels better about Taylor Heineke operating the no huddle offense, and you saw him be much more efficient doing that, right? He was basically like 30% when you look at success rate, 30% more efficient in the no huddle than Desmond Ritter was over the previous four games. So that is one example. If you, if you're trying to build your case guys for things that Taylor Heineke does that are leading to improvement on the offense, the no huddle is probably the one thing that you can plant your flag on and say, Hey, we did no huddle a lot more this game. It seemed to be mostly effective in this game, which was not the case under Desmond Ritter. We've been talking about that basically since that Titans game is like, maybe the no huddle was something that they could re- um, you know, throw into uh, as a new wrinkle to their offense to kind of jumpstart their offense. And at very, it's been very hit and miss with uh, Desmond Ritter in that regard, right? Basically a mixed bag there. It was not a mixed bag against Taylor Heineke. Maybe that's something they can carry over into this bear game. So I'm, I'm trying to give Taylor Heineke some credit, guys, but like you're not going to sit here and, and hear me be like, man, he, you know, this offense is so much in better hands than Taylor Heineke. It's basically the same. It's like, okay, but I guess the handful of times we use no huddle, you know, maybe it works a little bit better, but we'll see. We'll see how that holds up, right? If Heineke goes out there and is forced to have to sort of do more heavy lifting against the Bears and the Falcons and he plays well, right? I'll give him credit on the podcast. That's that's my thing. Like I, people think I just like I have these agendas. Like I'm hating on all these quarterbacks and pay no attention to the whiteboard behind me. Like it's not as if, you know, that means anything. Um, but it's like, just I'm honest about what I see, and I don't necessarily. I mean, I do change my standards. Like I don't judge Matt Ryan by the same standards I would judge Desmond Ritter. But like, you know, I try to be honest and open, but you know, I'm preaching to the choir with the everydayers. It's the YouTube commenters that really have a problem with my ability to evaluate uh quarterbacks. Cause they, they've been, they've been going after me hard every single year since we got on YouTube back in 2021. So uh anyway, we'll move on. We'll talk about the defense. We'll talk about how Gardner Minshew basically got completely discombobulated when the Falcons went to cover three, like what Ryan Nielsen's calling cover three. What are you doing, my guy? But we'll we'll break that down and, and why it was so effective in this game against the Colts to wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about PrizePix, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And now that basketball season is here, they have unveiled their specials league, which is a league created specifically for combo projections for two or more players across different sports and or leagues. Like you can combine NBA and NHL bets, right? Three points made, shots on goal. You can combine, you know, three points made uh, with like touchdown catches or receptions or something like that. All that is available on 
prize picks. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250, right? Just pick two or more players, pick more or less on the projections, and you're not going against other people. It's just you versus the projections. And the more entries you make, the more money you can make up to 25 times your money. There's quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and enormous selection of players and stat types. And it's why prize picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use promo code in lowercase locked on NFL. NFL prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. So uh, for those of you that are listening to the audio version of the podcast, this is the first of two episodes that you should get. Um, or no, that's not true, right? If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, you're getting this Wednesday afternoon, and then you're going to get a locked on crossover Thursday morning. If you're watching the YouTube version, uh, that's how I should have plugged it. You're watching this on Wednesday afternoon, and then you're going to get uh crossover on wednesday night so uh two episodes dropping uh on wednesday depending on what platform you're looking at but our next episode will be that crossover with locked on bears host lauren cox who will talk about you know what the falcons need to do to beat this bears team and of course if you guys want access uh to the extended all 22 review there is a link in the description below we'll plug exactly what that's going to be later in the episode but that's at join subtext.com slash locked on falcons so let's talk about the defense first right defense played well you know, I saw some comments from Gardner Minshew post game that maybe the Colts overlooked the Falcons and watching the film. I'm like, well, I don't know if the whole team overlooked the Falcons, but I know one player that didn't. That was probably Gardner Minshew because we talked about on that crossover, you know, we needed to have Minshew have kind of a stinker of a game. And we got that right. And I think a lot of that was owed to the Falcons being able to get consistent pressure in this game, far more pressure in this game than we have seen from this defense throughout the season. Right. Per my charting. The Falcons pressured Minshew on 50% of his dropbacks. I think PFF had the Falcons at 41%, right? But that 50% mark is the second highest mark of the year based off my charting, only behind that Titans game, right? Falcons obviously got six sacks in this game. They played a lot of cover three in this game, similar to the Titans game. They also played a lot of cover three last week against the Bucs, right? My charting had the Falcons um, running cover three about 44% of the time. And those three games, Tennessee last week's against the Bucks, and this game, I think were the only games where we ran cover three more than 30% of the time in our coverages. Now against the Titans, it made sense because you wanted to stack the box. That's kind of one of the benefits of the cover three is that you can drop that uh, second safety down into the box more easily and get those seven and eight man boxes that you need to stop the run. It wasn't effective against the Titans. Um, I don't think it was the plan going against the Colts, although I think stopping Jonathan Taylor was a part of their game plan. But I think their usage of cover three in this game, to me, at least based off my charting, seemed to be more of a mid-game adjustment, right? Because if you look at the first 13 pass plays that the Colts had on their opening two series, right, they ran, the Falcons only ran cover three twice on that. And they ran cover six twice on that. And cover six, also called quarter, quarter, half, is also a three deep, sort of coverage show and on those two plays where they did run cover six will mallory the the uh, Coles rookie tight end did get first downs on those plays and i think the falcons were like okay we'll scrap that 3d defense and we'll go to the cover three and then especially on that second series at the end of that second series they got back-to-back sacks um playing that cover three and i think ryan nielsen was like well uh, cover three seems to work so let's just keep doing that and so th- from that point on especially in the second and third quarters right on the 17 pass plays they ran cover three 10 times right compared to cover six they only ran like once right and Minshew just seemed to struggle against it right uh his passer rating when the falcons ran cover three based off my charting was 33 
in this game. He had an interception against cover three. Five of the team's six sacks came when they were playing cover three. They were able to pressure him on 60% of his dropbacks based off my charting. And as you guys well know, if you've been paying attention to this podcast, been in every day or all year long, that sort of break even point of where you can get where I think competent pressure is like 35% or higher is, is basically what you're shooting for. And so to basically double that, almost double that number at 60% is a testament to how well the Falcons front played. And I was shocked to see, again, the run game surprised me, the pass rush surprised. I did not think they would be able to dominate um, this Colts O-line line the way they did, but they, they really got off of their Blake Freeland. I know uh, I didn't chart how many pressures he gave up myself but i know pff had him with like nine pressures in this game they even you know got the better of uh, quentin nelson lakeo london was being very disruptive in the middle against like ryan uh kelly and whatnot well more that was more against the run than the pass but right and so you know the the fact that the falcons were able to get pressure they were consistently able to move Minchu off of his spot right like one of the things i chart is you know why wasn't the ball caught is it a drop is it a pass breakup is it a poor throw etc right and Minchu had a bunch of off target throws like nine by my count in this game and five of them came against cover three and a lot of that was owed to him getting moved off his spot and not being able to reset and that was something that we were hoping for in this game because i think i mentioned on that crossover Minshew has struggled against pressure this year. He's been one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in the league versus pressure, right? Now, one of the other benefits of playing the cover three was, you know, it's a classic fit for DeMarco Hellams. We've talked before about how DeMarco Hellams is basically a classic cover three strong safety in the same mode that Keanu Neal. He's not as good as Keanu Neal, but basically he's like, you know, that type of, of player, right? And I think we're going to see a lot more cover three now that Hellams is sort of taken over as the starter. Uh, these next couple of weeks against the Bears and, and Saints, like personally, the data I've seen from Cody Alexander at the Coach A on Twitter, you know, both the Bears and Saints, Falcons as well, are top five this year in terms of offenses that see the highest percentage of cover three that teams tend to p- defend them uh, with cover three. It's like Tennessee, Atlanta, Chicago, New Orleans, and I blanking on who the other team is. Uh, it'll be obvious when I. <laughs> what I think about it, it's probably one of these other teams that runs the ball a ton that you're all thinking of. But, um, you know, with Helms being that starter, playing more cover three makes sense. I think that's a big reason why we've seen them dial that up the last two weeks, because it's a better fit for Helms' skill set than, it, uh, than you know, what they were doing previously. Now, I don't think that's going to hold up into next season. Right. And so that's part of the reason why, like, I don't see DeMarco Hellams as anything more than like a short term starter for the Falcons to finish out this season. And then the Falcons should we'll see if they will should go into the offseason looking to upgrade that safety position to give them more of that sort of split safety that they want to be. And I think they're probably going to have to be given who the team who's on their schedule next year with the higher level of quarterback play and thus being much more concerned about the giving up the explosive play. You're going to play a lot more split safety stuff than probably the cover three stuff, not to mention their cover two um, based off my charting has been their most effective coverage this year. When you look at success rate against it this year. So there's all the reason for the Falcons to go back to more cover two, but they need to, they, they, I don't think Helms is really good in that role. He's functional. Um, Richie Grant was fine, clearly. Like it wasn't as if he was doing terrible in that, given he started most of the year and, and the Falcons have been mostly effective playing that. Um, but I, I do think the Falcons will need to upgrade that position this offseason, but we'll, we'll see about that. So, um, that's it, guys. 
Um, those are my main observations. The run game was a big boost. The pass rush was a big boost. Gardner Minshew really struggled uh, against cover three. And, and Taylor Heineke did an effective job managing the game. Those are sort of my biggest takeaways watching the film. When we get to the extended All-22 review, which is only uh, available to the Lockdown Falcons insiders, right? we'll probably look at some of those defensive plays that stood out. We'll look at Heineke managing the game. We'll look at some of the runs and look at the positive blocking and some of the negative blocking that, we're still positive runs because of the running backs doing things as well as probably some other things. That's where the LaCale London thing, like, you know, there's probably one play that I'm going to throw in there where it's like, Hey, he just bodied Quentin Nelson. Not too many dudes have done that uh, in the league. So, you know, Hey, LaCale London, I see you, I see you. Right. Um, so those are going to be some things that we talk about in extended all 22. If you want to check that out, by all means, hit the link in the description below at joinsubtext.com slash lockdown Falcons. You'll get access to that as well as access to all the previous extended all 22 reviews. You'll also get, you know, uh, that one-on-one feedback to me and you can, we can, we can share in our hatred of the, all the Falcons quarterbacks together, right? You can tell me how much you hate Matt Schaub, how much you hate Tony Gro- Graziani and how much you hate Taylor Heineke, Desmond Ritter, Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariota, etc. And, you know, let's, let's, let's start the ball rolling so we can start hating on Justin Fields, you know, early. All right. At the beginning of this off season and, and, you know, pee in everybody's punch bowl when we get to March and the Falcons don't trade for him, right? Like, you know, let, let, let's get that ball going. So you only can do that by becoming a Locked on Falcons insider. Hit that link in the description below. It's a 14-day free trial, and then it's $4.99 a month after that fact, right? So it's a great value, right? For all the hatred that's in your heart, as well as the extended all 22 review, it's an incredible value. So subscribe now. You'll get the last two episodes for free, and then you can decide, you know, we, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to be offering during the offseason. We'll figure out something. But then you can decide whether or not you want to, you know, keep it going in the offseason and actually have to pay for it. So there's no better time than right now to sign up and become a Lockdown Falcons insider. Again, hit the description, hit the link in the description at joinsubtext.com slash locked on Falcons. So that's going to do it for us, guys. We got another crossover to come. Locked on Sports Today, Locked on Sports Atlanta 24-7 streaming channel, Locked on Fal- Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.